And hello, Recovery Fam, and welcome back to the Unashamed Recovery Podcast. I am your host, Josh. And I'm your co-host, Drew. And I put the fun in dysfunctional. I'm Palmer. Without further delay, roll that intro. Unashamed Recovery Podcast. Yep, that's how it's the done. The Unashamed Recovery Podcast. Unashamed Recovery Podcast with Josh, Drew, and Palmer starts now. And this is episode 59, Rock Bottom. And our guest today truly needs no introduction. Uh, our guest today has had a career covering college football recruiting that spans 20 years. And some of you may know him from his tireless and in-depth coverage of Mississippi State Athletics on his own podcast, the nationally acclaimed The Boneyard. And on his column over at jeanspage.com. Some of you also may know him from his Mississippi bestsellers list, Flim Flam, Stark Villains, Alpha Dogs, Blooms of Oleander, Dogpile, and more recently, When the Bottom Falls. And our upcoming 24 release, The Dude. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, our guest today is the one, the only, the beautiful Steve Robertson. And if you don't listen to Steve's <laughs> podcast, you have no clue what I'm talking about, and you think I fell off my rocker. But <laughs> I'm an LSU guy. I had no oh, idea. Here I'm we so go. Sorry. Here we go already. So sorry. I will go listen to it though, Steve, because <laughs> I do support our Mississippi people. Well, one thing I will say is the the moniker of beautiful Steve Robertson certainly applies today. Sitting yes. Amen. <laughs> yes, it does. You're making I, us look real good today, Steve. We appreciate that. Well, it's, I think it's the other way around. I think you guys are making me look better. You know, oh, I, well. I dress for the occasion, for, yeah. for one. We, so. we did not. In fact, I actually went back to the last episode and made sure I wore the same shirt and undershirt. I think I'm going to make this a, a thing where That's I gonna just be your, try to your stay, uniform. See, the I, same I had to, thing. I had to represent. For you, the, I get it. I had to represent. You, I get it. You, you know. had to represent state because he's he's the state guy. I got it. And I got That's more my hair school, than all man. you guys combined. This is true. I'm working on that. I'm thinking I'm going to dread don't, this Don't out. hurt yourself. Don't think <laughs> I'm going to dread this out. <laughs> and after seeing how beautiful your locks are, I think I'm going to dread mine out. There you go. Students, So I, I do have, I have one question before we get started. Where does Rose Bowl come from? Well, it's kind of a long story, but so back mm. in 2001, I wrote a column, a very optimistic column about Mississippi State potentially winning the SEC West, and we went three and nine. <laughs> and, that, and that year, the, uh, the BCS NAFL championship game was a Rose Bowl, so people – Got you. And I'm a fan of alliteration. Like, people are like, oh, Rose Bowl Robertson. They thought it was like them taking a shot at me, but I flipped it. And so, because that's what I do. Right. It's so funny, too. It's like, I had somebody ask me recently, we're going through, like, I've been doing this for so long. And they're like, whatever happened to so and so and so and so and so and so? And I said, I don't know. You have to ask them. I'm still here. Right. <laughs> it's like, all, all these people that, uh, you know, all these people that, you know, yeah, let me just say this. Rumors of my demise have been greatly exaggerated <laughs> over the years. And it's so funny. So many of my contemporaries now are, you know, they're also rents now. They're no longer right. in the industry. And, and this is, listen, this is a high grind industry. It really is. And uh, yeah, I don't know how many phone calls you got in your in your life to teenage uh, football players. You know, I'm going right. to get old after a while. But uh, I love what we do. And uh, I've had opportunities to do other things in sports. But um, one of the things that irritates me is when uh, Mississippi State people leave Mississippi State and take their talents elsewhere and listen to each their own. 
but uh, I just decided years ago, this is what I wanted to do. I had a second chance at life. Right. And I was like, hey, if I get a chance to do this, I'm going to stay there forever. And, yeah. uh, and that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to cover Mississippi State until, until Dana puts me in a nursing home. And if they've got Internet access there, I still <laughs> might get on Twitter and troll Ole Miss fans, you know. So <laughs> <laughs> That would be you, though. <laughs> Leave us LSU guys alone, please. So you said second chance in life. What was the first chance? Yeah, what was so, that like? So this is our first time meeting. Uh, yes. I know that y'all have met. But so I have I, – I am usually the clueless one. If y'all have not figured that out, I don't do my research. I'm here for comic relief, which I obviously don't need to be here today because you're funny. So what am I doing here? But um, this is my first time getting a chance to meet you and shake your hand and say hello. So can you tell me a little bit about, uh, well, this is Unashamed Recovery. So obviously there's a recovery story in there somewhere. Well, and also, I mean, you know, Steve was talking about all the good stuff that's going on now. It ain't always been so good for Steve. They're, 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 you know, not, not all roses yeah. and sunshine, Steve? Not rose bowls and sunshine. <laughs> you, know, you know what's interesting? When, when, uh, when I wrote When the Bottom Falls, which is uh, basically a memoir about my story, my path to recovery, and I almost called it No Better Roses. Almost. Uh, there's, a, there's a chapter in there called No Better Roses. I mean, it's a song, too, that's very important in my life. And, uh, and, and the book talks about that. It's, you'll, have to, you'll have to read the book to figure that part of it out. But, um, you know, basically, I'm living on borrowed time, right? And that's the right. way that I look at all this. And, um, you know, God afforded me a second chance. And, um, yeah, I'm going to take some credit for, for taking advantage of that. You know, there's so many people that don't get like a second that. chance. And, um, yeah, I don't think God created any of us to be a robot. Right. You know? right. And yeah. it's like one of the things, listen, I don't want to be judgmental. And I guess I, I, I got 32 years and almost a month now. So I think that Ooh. qualifies me as an old timer, right? Um, yep. A little bit. One of the things that, that bothers me is it's like we want to attribute everything only to God. And, the thing that I've learned about recovery and about life is that God will do for you what you cannot do for yourself, but not one thing more. He's not going to do our part. Right. We have to do like our that. part. And so a lot of people are like, well, you know, God did this. Yeah, yeah. God gave you a chance, dummy. You know, <laughs> what did you do with it? Right. What if, it's, just, it's, like, right. it's like the whole thing, the whole parable about the talents, right? It was like, you know. You know, all these people, they went and buried it, you know, and, and one guy went out and spent it. You know, when you, got, when you have the opportunity to have a second chance at life, you can't look at life the same way. And so for me, like I was raised right. in church and, uh, you know, I was a high school athlete and I had a chance to have some opportunities to play collegiately. And uh, that didn't work out the way that I wanted it to. And uh, I had a chance to go into the music industry for, for a while and... Uh, was with a band out of Baton Rouge for uh, for about a year. And uh, they were in the studio, recorded an album, and then um, our manager wanted me to start my own band to front, to be like the opening act for them. And uh, so I was in the process of doing all that, and I, started, I tried to take shortcuts, all that stuff. But, um, you know, and I got in some trouble, got some legal trouble, you know, because I needed money, and, uh, you know, I, I was a drug addict. And, and even before all that stuff happened for me, um, you know, I was involved in so many relationships I had no business being involved in, right. you know, and I think that's one of the things we've got to be honest about. It's like none of this happened by luck. I mean, no. you know, I, I made decisions <clears throat> and many of them were, were detrimental to my life and to the people that loved me. And I that's think right. when I was restored to sanity, I began to make those same decisions 
uh, they were better. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a suicide survivor. You know, I mean, I, I took a, a handful of pills that I had been storing up for a while. And, and uh, I'll just make a confession here, and I, I talk about this in the book. If I went into your house in the year of 1991, I went through your medicine cabinet. And uh, it's <laughs> well, true. I mean, yeah. It's true, you know. And that's I always that's what this, addiction does, though. I well, mean. I always had this little system, right? And so, like, it's like if me and you were going over to, to his house, right. I would wait for you to use the, the restroom up front. Right. And then I would say, hey, is there another bathroom? Oh, yeah, my parents' room's in the back. Well, that's where the medicine was, right? Right. And so, I, I mean, I, it, it sounds so silly, but that's how I lived, and that's right. how I thought. And, um, you know, one day you get some pain pills, and the next day you get heart medication, and you think it's pain pills, and you take it and nearly kill yourself. And and uh, there was a night, I was living in Hattiesburg, and um, I mistook some pain pills for some heart medication, and my heart was about to beat out of my chest. I thought I was going to die right then and there. And, I, and like when I went to treatment, I remember uh, Kim Bonham, the intake assessment counselor at Pine Grove, asked me, well, why didn't, why didn't you go to the hospital? And I was like, it never even occurred to me to go to the hospital. <laughs> because I knew that if I went to the hospital, that my family was going to find out that I was a drug addict. Right. And I, I would rather have died know. than them know that. And, uh, and that's not being comedic or anything like that, is I, I was so far away from where I needed to be in life that any step I took was in the right direction. I had nowhere else to turn. I, I had ostracized everybody in my family. Uh, and, and listen, there were some people that cut me off. And as painful, even all these years later, as that feels, when I, when I want to feel it, I can. Yeah. But there were other people that I pushed away. And, and one of the things that I've learned about all of this is there's that little voice in your head and there's all these people that, that are basically co-conspirators in your demise, right? I mean, they're, they're not your friends. Right. And we just tell them, this is my buddy. No, they're not. They're, you're just the next person that's going to go get high with them, right? Yeah. Because we all want to find the tribe, right? We always want to find where we're comfortable. And so it's incredible how the... The principle of reflection works. Like, you know, if you go into church week after week, it's like next thing you know, you're like you're listening to Sonic Flood and Michael W. Smith, and you get that Jesus fish on the back of the minivan. Right? Sonic, Sonic Flood. Yeah, that's right. And so, you're that's not a what unless you got a Jesus fish, dog. No, I, I think. I mean, I really, I think people are going to hell. People who don't have a Jesus fish and people that put onions and potato salad are going to hell. It's in Leviticus. Uh, <laughs> So that's the end of this podcast. We appreciate you hanging it. around. That's, right, that's all that needed to be said right there. So, but, but, the, but the rest of that is, is like all of these things that happen that, that are negative in your life are really about the people you surround yourself with. And so, you know, when, when I was smoking weed and chasing promiscuous women, all my friends did the same thing. Yeah, because that's what you do. You surround yourself with people that mirror mirror, mirror your value system. Right. Yep. And um, and so it's so funny too. Like when, when we were teenagers, everybody's like, "Oh, you really got to watch your friends." Well, why did that change in adulthood? You always have to watch right. your friends. Yep. And your wife's friends and your husband's friends. Yeah, you know, it's like. And coworkers, thing. absolutely. Coworkers are not your friends, but so many people will tell some coworkers, like, the, yeah, everything, everything, everything. and, you know and they so, turn around and go and use it against you. Oh, like, absolutely. We're always ranking the pack, right? Always, we're always. And what's interesting about that too, and this is one of those profound 
moments in life when you realize this, the people that we should invest our time in are the ones that will gather around our bedside when we're leaving this world. Yep. Those are the people that should matter most. You know, not, not your hunting buddy, you know, n- not your lunch buddy from work, you know. Not to say those relationships aren't important because they are, but they should never be more important than these. And so to kind of get back to my story is I, I was a man without a country because I had burned every bridge. And, and some of them was, well, I was proud to do so, you know. And uh, I, was, I got involved with this girl I had absolutely no business being involved with. And, um, you know, it, it didn't go well. And um, I didn't handle it well. And um, found out it later that uh, she was pregnant with my kid and uh, that she had an abortion. And I was 19 years of age. And how do you go tell your family that, you know, when you're 19? Right. You know, that, that's a tough thing to do. Oh, by the yeah. way, she was married, too, on top of that, right? Oh. And so, yeah, there's a little grenade for you. <laughs> and so, um, so anyway, right. so, so like... Every decision that I made was the wrong decision. And the one thing that I can tell you today without any reservation is I have known the right thing to do at every point in my life. I just didn't do it. <laughs> and, and that's, that's the Amen. accountability piece Amen. to all this. It's like, like I remember being in, in uh, when we were in treatment and all that kind of stuff. My mom said, oh, you know, Steve just ran with the wrong crowd. And I said, Mom, I hate to tell you this, but I was the wrong crowd. <laughs> I, I, they I were was, running with me. I was the most negative influence in every circle of friends that I had. Everybody wanted to be to do what I was doing, right? And right. It, you know, it's like I remember it was one time, and this guy was like, hey, man, let's just uh, let's go up here and we'll just have a few beers. And I got that's just going to make me mad. <laughs> you know, if we can't wake up tomorrow with a story to tell, I don't even want to bother to go out, Right. And so if we weren't going to go get littered and then wind up in New Orleans, you know, chasing narcotics and strippers, why even go out, right? Right. And, and that's the truth. I mean, that's how I felt about everything. I mean, like... Go every, big or go home. That's what I was about to say, all in or all the way out. You well, know? and I've always been a person of extremes. It's like, I mean, you see me today, right? And, like, people always talk about my work ethic from today. Imagine how that was when it was negative, yeah. right? When I was investing all of my emotional energy into my own self-destruction, yeah, And so when, when I went to rehab, and uh, I'd been in a county lockup for six days. I hadn't had any drugs or narcotics or any alcohol or anything for six days. And I had uh, this guy from the Perver Basin Narcotics Task Force trying to get me to squeal on everybody. And had the, every time I turn around, there's a new charge, and you're going to be charged with this, and you're going to get the death penalty. And, you know, and I was 19, but I was smart enough to realize that they were full of it. You yeah. know? And, uh, the death penalty. Oh, yeah. And so, yeah. Oh, we got two, we got two new witnesses today. You know? And I remember the guy was like, I like it. We got two, uh, two family sore out statutory rape warrants against you today. I said, well, I know that's not true. He goes, why do you know that? I said, because I checked everybody's ID. You know? Uh, you know but anyways. If you make- want to party with me, you better have a legal ID. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. But... But anyway, so when I got to Pine Grove, it's like, um, and I even thought about running off to Mexico. I mean, honestly, because like when you're 19, you don't fully understand, right? You just think, oh my gosh, I'm facing all these legal charges. And there were a ton of them. And uh, there's a lot of things I got away with. And thankfully, the statute limitations just run out on that. But but all that being said, when I went to Pine Grove, and I'm 6'2", like 215 today, I was 6'2", 146 pounds. But I'm sitting there with my mom, and uh, I could just feel myself. I wanted to pass out. I was so weak. And, uh, and I just wanted, 
I wanted to be able to make it to my room before my mom saw me fall out. I didn't want my mom to have that memory yeah. of me. And I prayed about that. I was like, God, if you're going to do anything else to me the rest of my life, do not let my mom see me fall out on this floor. Right. And so I got back to my room, and, um, and I was done. I mean, it was like I, I, I prayed to die every day. And uh, I, kept, I was so cold. I kept hitting the button. And, of course, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm detoxing naturally, which isn't the safest way to do it, you know. And, um, and so I kept hitting that button because I was so cold. And the guy that was in CA there he kept bringing me blankets. And I, and I wrote in the book, he loved me enough to bring me six blankets, knowing I didn't need them, you know. Right. Um, and so I woke up the next day, and, and I, every day, every moment that I was awake, I prayed to die. Every moment. I was like, God, I, just, I don't want to live. The, the road home is too arduous. Just take me. Just take me. Mm. I was volunteering for that, you know, just take me. And the truth of the matter is, it, it, I'd have killed myself if I didn't think I'd have gone to hell. That's the truth. Mm. And I tried to kill myself, and there's nothing more disgusting than having to go back and clean up yourself, clean up your vomit after your failed suicide attempt. But... Um, when I got to the very end, it had, if, I had, if I believed that I wouldn't have gone to hell, I would have killed myself. That's how bad it was. I thought that was probably the easier, softer way. And uh, the next day I wake up, and that same CA is, I heard somebody talking. And he was at the bottom, he's kneeling down at my bedside praying to God to save my life. And I thought, here this complete stranger is, values my life more than I do. And that's one of the profound things of recovery. It's like, you can't save somebody without fear. If somebody doesn't fear losing their life, they have no value in their life. Right. And that's one of the things that we have to do is to teach people that their life matters. And um, so the next day I woke up with an IV drip and uh, I was in and out of consciousness. And uh, finally, I guess on day three, I rallied a little bit and I wanted a cigarette. So I pulled my own IV drip out and I went looking for <laughs> a cigarette. And uh, and then at that moment, there was all these people, these people that were young in recovery from crack addiction and, and everything else. And, and I went in there and all of a sudden those people didn't judge me. You know, it's like all, you know, everybody back home may have been ready to, you know, to dig my grave and all that kind of stuff. And there were so many people that said, Hey, this guy's done. They were, they were my hometown. They had me indicted for everything, but the Kennedy assassination. I mean, it's like, you know, everything that ever happened in my hometown or anywhere around that I had to, some have been responsible for it. And, um, but those people loved me, and I didn't know them, but they were my tribe. You know, I'd been looking for that really my whole life yeah. in many respects. And they were like, hey, we've been, we've been worried about you, so glad you're okay. I'm like, who are these people, you know? <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, I began to maybe listen a little bit, you know, because in the beginning I, I just wanted to go to rehab just to impress a judge so I could maybe get a lighter sentence, you know. Right. And then, lo and behold, it ended up changing the course of my life. Damn. There's it's, it's, so much in what every, everything that you just said. Like, I, I will need to go back and listen to that four or five times just because. Or just go by the book. J, well, that too. But I'm just saying, like, just, <laughs> just you know, when I'm when I go to edit this, man, just being able to hear that over and over again will be amazing. Right. Just from where you started in the fact that you said, like, look, I had to make the choice. And that's that's what we've tried to tell y'all a million times. It is a choice. Nobody else like, can do it for you. We I don't care how you got there, but you have to choose to get out. 
And you have to choose, okay, God did this for me, now what can I do? Well, there's no search party being formed. Right. And that's one of the things that, you know, we always lay around, oh, woe is me. I just wish somebody would come save me from this agony. Uh, Build a boat and row, okay? (laughs) Because all these... The truth of the matter is, outside of a handful of people, we, you don't matter that much. Right. I mean, I mean, we think we do, and that's the thing, too. I always tell people, don't ever surrender to people you love drugs and alcohol. But there are many people that do. They said, this is a hopeless cause. When, when my mom came to Family Week, and my sisters hate it when I tell this part of the story, but it's a part of my story, and I earned this. So we're getting ready for Family Week at Pine Grove, right? And they're like, how many people are going to come? And so I had to give everybody's name and numbers. And, you know, at the time I had a dad, a stepmom, a mom, a stepdad, my grandparents who raised me, for the most part, four sisters and a brother. And so I'm thinking, yeah, it's going to be a big thing. And I was kind of stressed about it. I was like, I don't have to face all these people. But I knew it was part of the deal. The only person that came was my mom. Wow. That was it. The only person that came with my mom. And I remember walking in and I was so shocked. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Yeah, and she and I have talked about that so many times. And she goes, you know, baby, I will stand for you if I'm the only one standing. And sometimes that's what it takes is to have one person that believes in you that is, that is unrelenting. That says, I'm not going to let you go. The world may give up on you, but I'm not going to let you go. And, and when we went to uh, Family Week and uh, this one guy who ended up being my sponsor for the first two years because I stayed sober the first couple of years despite him because he told me I couldn't make it. You know, he knew what he was doing. Uh, but, they, but they told me. I like that. He, you're never going to make it. You might as well just give up. Oh, yeah? I'll show you. Yeah, well, that's exactly what happened because he knew how ultra competitive I was. And, exactly. and so, uh, but they, yeah. told, they told me, they said, hey, we're, we're teaching your mom how to mourn your loss. And even now that's emotional to me. Right. You know, I mean, I'm 19 years. To think about my mom having to bury me, you know, at 19 you know, and there's no telling where else I would have taken her. And, and, and that was one of the things, too. Like, our relationship was always really good. It got a little strained when I was a rebellious teen, but that's not her. That's not an indictment on her. It's on me, right. you know. Yeah. Um, but I remember when I, when I first got clean and sober, I remember asking, for, I said, how do I make this up to her? You know, and uh, he had this great idea, and I did it, too. And it, used to, it freaked her out in the beginning. But every night when I got home for the night... I would call her and I would tell her. I said, hey, mom, I just want to call and tell you I love you. I'm home for the night. Uh, had a good day today. Hope you had a good day. Be a little two or three minute conversation. And I think in the beginning she wondered why I was doing it. But it was really because all those nights when she had to worry yeah, about that's getting what a phone about call. To say, sitting up about and me. having to worry. So tonight you're not going to have to worry about getting a phone call from the highway patrol or the coroner's office yeah. or anybody like that <laughs> because I've already made my call. And so that was part of me making amends to her to let her know that I was okay. And so then over the course of time, the conversations got a little longer. Can we take know? can we take a timeout right Absolutely. there real quick? All right. So if, if you didn't really catch what just happened there, when he made an amends, it wasn't an immediate thing. Right. It wasn't, hey, I'm making an amends. It has to be done right now. This has to be sorted and figured out today. Right. It happened over time. Right. And that's something that I've actually had to practice in my life is actually making an amends over time. You know, you've got to give people some time to understand that you're not the same villain or monster right. that they've made you out to be or what they've seen before. Yeah, so you many know, people you have want to it take, like now. Yeah, I mean. Like, so I that's, said I'm sorry. You should accept that. That's oh, yeah. part of we're that mo- addiction. We're moving past that's not how that's it works. That's part of addiction. You know, that's the it, instant, instant gratification. I mean, sure we is. want the microwave effect to everything, and that's not how it works. You know, it's an oven process. And that's a great point because, like, my stepdad, like, he knew what I put his wife through. 
right? Mm-hmm. And he raised me and my brother like his own sons. Right. You know, we, we weren't his responsibility. He took that on. But he saw how I broke my mother's heart. And he was probably one of the ones that was most reluctant to kind of, oh, let's forgive and forget. You know, so it took a long time. And it was difficult. Right. You know, and that's the thing. You got to figure out what relationships are valuable to you, right? I mean, it's like, I, I got some friends from back in the day that I still don't talk to. Because Same. their involvement in my life is negative. Yeah. You know, and it's like, we, we talk about being, you know, new creatures and things about nature. But, you know, the reality of it is, is you got to change people, places, and things. If you nothing know? changes. Nothing, nothing changes. changes. There we go. <laughs> but if, yeah, it's like if you, that has been my motto. That has been the thing that I've stuck to throughout my recovery for the last six years is if nothing changes, nothing's ever going to change. Absolutely. I mean, it's like if you're the guitar player in Guns N' Roses, right? Right. Let's say you're Slash, right? And so you're not going to go join the Pet Shop Boys, right? <laughs> no. Right? You, you, you so, see that commercial is not real when he does the, the audition for the... No, no. But you, but you understand my point. girl I mean, band. You, you kind of are who you are, right? right? And so if Slash wants to join the Pet Shop Boys, he's going to have to cut his hair and probably learn to play the synth, right? Yeah. And it's the same <laughs> thing in recovery. And that sounds kind of silly, but the reality of it is if you keep running with the same people, you're going to do the same things. Over and over again. Yeah. It yeah, just becomes a, it becomes a, that carousel at that point. It's the same principle reflection we were talking about. Yeah, you, you can't keep running with the elephants and expect to be treated like a mouse. I mean, that's just that's how life is. Yeah, you know, if if you don't change, the perception of you will never change, and only you know the reality of you. And that it takes time. To your point, it takes time for people to understand this is a new reality and a new creature. And listen, there are some people in my hometown, even all these years later, that look at me sideways because some of the things that I did. And you know what? I've asked for forgiveness. I've made amends. So it is no longer a me problem. It is a them problem. <laughs> right. That's right. And the them problem is not going to get me drunk. I've got to get me high because I, I have done all that I can do. And there are some relationships that will never be restored. And it's important to understand that because, you know, there, there's some people out here, like you watch and you watch the movie on Netflix and all of a sudden, you know, the guy's like jogging down the street and he's running a marathon. Everything's great. The crowd's cheering for him. That's not reality. No, not at all. Yeah. And I think that's what even what I was looking for. You know, the day I got out of rehab, I was expecting this big fanfare. People be party confetti, you know, and it wasn't a, a, a parade. So, yeah, it was, so there happy was, for you. There was none of that. A new Christmas. Welcome home. <laughs> yes, oh, no, I got keys hidden from me. Uh, wallets were put up. I mean, vehicles I couldn't drive. I always had to get a ride with somebody somewhere. Like, I was not allowed to be in my own car. Like, it was it was crazy. You know, was, there was all these restrictions. You know, I was going to say that, that there's, you know, listening to y'all talk, there's a, I can't think of his name, but it's, I think it's Tom McDonald, maybe. There's a, a, a rapper out there, one of his songs, he's a Christian, and one of his songs talks about how it, it's not that I don't love y'all. You're talking about your old friends. It's not that I don't love y'all. It's not that, you know... Y'all did this to me. It's just we just can't hang together anymore because you're still doing that and I'm not. And so, you know, there's so many people out there that, like, you want to go back to your old friends. Man, I've been friends with that person for 20 years. Okay, but if they're not in the same place that you are, then as we're rowing, they're just dumping water in the boat. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, the heaviest, the <laughs> yeah. heaviest things in your wagon is the stuff other people put in it, right? Yeah. <laughs> 
And so I, I had yep. to start getting people that help contribute to that. You know, get, who, who can help me take some of the load? Yeah. And, and when, you, when we're unequally yoked with friendships, and we, we talk about that so much with romantic relationships, we can be unevenly yoked as friends. Right. Yep. And so I got to decide how much of the load of, of yours I'm willing to carry <laughs> to be your friend. And at right. some point, I got to decide I'm not getting enough juice for the squeeze. I can, hey, we're not enemies. But we're not going to be like we were before because uh-huh. I'm going a different direction. And that's okay. It's okay Most if you want to stay where you are. This is where I'm going. And if the requirement for me to be your friend is i got to be somebody that I'm not, then that's and, not a friendship. And to stay habit. stuck yeah, here. Yeah. You know, a lot of friends want you to stay stuck with them. When, right. they, when they see you digging to try and get out to get better, like, hey, come back down here with me. Right. So can they, we talk about RC right here? Can, can we, we jump in we, with us? We can, we, we, can, we can talk about RC. <laughs> I got to hear this a little bit, and it's amazing. We, talk, we talked about this earlier, right? And, so, and you can equate it to business, you, whatever. There's a lot of people out there that are RC Cola. Oh, yeah. They think they're Coke, and they're not even Pepsi, right? They got, <laughs> they got food club talent, and they're hanging on to that RC logo. But they want you to think, I'm the king. You right. Know? And then what happens is in, instead of them trying to find some measure of greatness, let me talk you into it, right? And we see it on social media all the time, right? It's like, this is who I am. Well, I got receipts, right? And that's the way that I look at life. It's like yep. it, my goal has never been to just be good enough for around here, right? right. I want to be as good as I can possibly be. And that, that's, that's mentally, emotionally, professionally, personally – I want to be the best person I can be, period. Now, that's not up to your standards. Those are my standards, right? Yep, right. You may want to be RC. I want to be Coke, right? And I'm okay <laughs> with you being RC, right? But we can't be RC and then go out there and put a Coke wrapper on ourselves on social media and then get mad when people say this person's a fraud. They're not really Coke, yeah, right? So if you want to be Coke... If you want to be number one, you got to do the things that number two, three, and four, and five aren't willing to do. And that's not just in business. And I equate that a lot to business. But the reality of it is this. The biggest lies we tell ourselves, the biggest lies we tell are the ones we tell ourselves. Right. Like, I could probably, you know, bamboozle you guys into believing that maybe I'm something I'm not for a short time. But i got to go home. i got to look myself in the mirror. i got to stare at that sequin at night. I know who I am. Yep. And for many years of my life, I lived as a fraud, right? It's right. like I would just tell people, well, I did this. And I, I'm doing it, man, right? I'm not a has-been, right? I'm, I'm a still ascending person. And that's the way that I look at that. I mean, like we talk about the books and things like that. I mean, I, I had a guy who was a life coach. Shout out to Brad Wordley. And one day he told me something that changed my life. And it offended me. So I'm not talking about the social media. You know, I heard a guy say in a meeting one time that 99% of the stuff people get mad about it in their business, and that's the world today, right? Yes. yes. But when he yep. said this, this was in that 1%, and it, and it got me. He said, Steve, you're leading an accidental life. And I was like, what? I, I couldn't believe he said that. And he goes, because I got old in my 30s. I, I did. I was, just, you know, I was more focused on being a husband and a father, and I was just a guy that paid for everything. And he asked me, he said, what are your goals for yourself? And I said, well, you know, I want my kid. No, no. no. What are the goals what do you for want, you? What do you want for you? What do you want for you? Well, I want to be a great husband. No, 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 no. What do you want for you? 
And I realized I'd stopped dreaming in life. I had Man. no dreams for myself. He was trying to get you to help self-identify. Absolutely. Yeah, and you couldn't. And so what's so funny about that is I, I thought about it. I was mad when he said it. You know, because we don't really like people telling us the truth. We want people to tell us, oh, you're, such a, you're doing so well, right? You know, <laughs> everything is so great, you know. And that's the thing about recovery is like I needed some people in the beginning that would call me on my nonsense, right? I still right. need I got enough people blowing smoke up my skirt, right? I got some friends. I, you know, I joke about this. You know, I got friends in Starville to help me move. I got friends in Columbia that'll help me move a body, you know. Uh, <laughs> I got some friends. I, I, I got a lot of friends. <laughs> I got a lot of friends, but I also got some friends that are, that are really right. my they're really my friends that won't just tell me how great I am. Yeah. Right. right. And, and and listen, anytime you got that, to I, have that. Well, anytime I need some humility, I'll just log on the Twitter, right? There's always these people out there that, <laughs> that they, they can do a better job than me, you know. Twitter. I mean, goodness, I've been, I've been doing this since nineteen ninety seven and, and I have no contemporaries. Like there's nobody that's been doing it as long as me and we're doing it bigger and better than ever. But it's like I don't delude myself with all that. I'm thinking, what can we do to get bigger and better? And um, you know, the whole thing about Brad was when he said that, it stung. The truth stings. And yes. it wasn't what I wanted to hear. And I remember he said, well, what is one of the things that you feel like that you haven't done in life you want to do? I said, I've got this crippling fear that I'm going to lay on my deathbed one day having never written a book. He goes, so write a book. I goes, I don't know how. He goes, figure it out. Yeah. And so now... I'm Chapter doing research for, for, books, for book seven, right? Yep. But that conversation changed my life. And there, most people can look back and pinpoint, hey, this is, you know, and we talk about people being in your life for a season. Sometimes you don't need the people that know how to avoid pushing your buttons. You need somebody. And that's where sponsorship and, and mentorship and, and being plugged into a group of accountability. Yeah. That's right. And having somebody say, you know what, I, I, I think you're being a little phony right now. Right. You're not doing this because – you know, and, and nowadays, I mean, it's, you know, nobody's going to give you a palm leaf parade for telling the truth, right? right? No. Uh, yeah, the, one, the last guy that did, they crucified him, you know. And so, <laughs> That's right. But I, I don't know any other way to live. You know, and one of the things that I get upset with myself about, I, when I have to fake it, you know what I mean? It absolutely wow. drives me crazy. Like, when I, when I have to, when I have to protect your feelings, <laughs> <laughs> because I'm worried that you're going to react negatively to the truth. That's not a you problem. That's a me problem. I got to check myself because I owe it to you as your brother to tell you the truth. Yeah. Hey, and man. that's the thing yeah. with Brad Wordley. When he told me that it's like, when he said it, I was dead to right. I could get as mad as I wanted to get, Yeah. but he was right. And it changed my life. And it's amazing how one morsel of truth on a smorgasbord full of fakery will change the direction of things. I'll never forget. Uh, I, over the last couple of years of recovery, have been dealing with anger issues. Just, I said I was sorry. <laughs> anger <laughs> has just been one of the things that's just been hard to deal with, and I've been I've been struggling with it. Six months ago, at the kitchen counter, my nine-year-old called me out on it. That's a hard truth yep. to come from your kid, and she could recognize it. Yeah. And it really pulled me out of that denial, and now I've really been, okay, let's work on this. If my, if my nine-year-old can spot this, and it's the same way that, that, that hard truth will pull you out of that fog of denial in a heartbeat. Yep. You know, it's, it's never the, fun. The worst it's part never is never when fun. that's all they remember. 
Like my, my, you know, I've said this on the podcast before, my 16 year and my 15 year old, they're both girls. And a lot of what they remember is dad being a, an a-hole, you know, uh, sorry, Jesus for saying that in the church, but, <laughs> that, but that's the truth. All they, all they remember is how hard I was and how mean I was, how angry I was. Yeah. And I'm like, I've spent the last six years as a changed person and y'all still only remember. Well, yeah. Cause six times, you know, minus 10, you know, like, yeah. And something on that adding up. There. Right. And yeah. so, you know, the math but math now, math. you know, it does get to the point where they're like, okay, I don't have to walk on eggshells around dad. Like I could, you know, say what I need to say and dad's going to be okay. We'll yep. work this out and stuff like that. But yeah, is when you get hit with a hard truth, whether it's your, your child or a lifelong friend or a mentor or whatever. I mean, that's just, yep. it's, it's awesome that, that we have people in our lives that are willing to do that. And that you're one of those people that are willing to do it. Like, I'm not going to be your friend and not tell you the truth. Right. That's, that's more detrimental than me telling you the truth. Oh, absolutely. There's enough people that are going to be your yes men. Yeah. You know? And the way that I look at it, too, is like, that's the price of poker with me, right? If, um, especially when it Put comes to... Put that on t-shirt, price of poker. That when, that's, <laughs> when it comes to recovery, it's like... The one thing you take out of that? Do, do you... I mean, I, I am the exception rather than the rule, and that's not to praise me. That's to, pro- to praise the, the process and the program of recovery, right? right? Because all I did was did what they told me to do, right? I, I didn't reinvent the wheel. I don't have. I'm not some you know, guru that found some easier, softer way. I did what they told me to do, and I listened, and I worked the steps, and I got a sponsor, and I called people when I was getting squirrely, and all of a sudden I started stacking up good days, and it was amazing how much better life got. When I didn't have a cop problem and I didn't have a, right. you know, I didn't have some girl's ex-boyfriend or ex-husband problem. You know, it's amazing how much happier my life got when I could just get up and go to work every day and maybe go by the store and pick up a CD and go home and watch Blockbuster and just have a good night. Right. And not have, uh, you know, never know. You tell your age. Who's going to walk, <laughs> the, walk, knock on the door. Right. Yep. yep. And then right. all of a sudden that's the dividend of it. Right. All of a sudden it's like, hey, well, today was a good day. Well, I want tomorrow to be a good day, too. Maybe I won't drink and use tomorrow either, right? Because it's all about today, staying in today, right? And One day uh, when, time. I, when I picked up my 32-year chip, there was a, it was this kid picking up a 24-hour chip. And I told him, you know, you're not supposed to cross-talk, but I don't care. They're going to kick me out. And, uh, <laughs> and so... Uh, you got 32 years in. You should cross-talk. Yeah, you, you, Please, you, help the rest I, of us. I, I will wear it like a badge of honor. Go ahead and throw me out, you know. <laughs> Banished from AA. She just wore a T-shirt that says "Number One Crawl Stalker." Yeah. yeah. So, but I told that kid, I said, "Listen, the chip you picked up today is actually just as important as the one I picked up." Most definitely. Because that was me. I was the reluctant guy that went in there and was like, "I don't know what I'm going to do." And the point that I made then is, if we went to meetings and like everybody in the room was like nine months, six months sober, you would wonder, "Is this as good as it gets?" Yeah. What yep. happens you know? next? I mean, what happens after a year, you know? Yeah. And so I think it's important, and I don't go to meetings as often as I should, and, I, and sometimes I can't, but um, I go back every year and pick up my chip because I think it's important for those people to see you, we do recover. That's right. You know, and it, it's, that's why I do podcasts like this, and I'm very transparent about it. Like, listen, I put more evidence about my life, and, the, and when the bottom falls, um, so the people that really don't like me, they got a lot of ammunition mm-hmm. now. But here's right. the thing. I'm not that person anymore. That's right. And so if you want to judge me for who I used to be, uh, n- number one, you're not qualified to sit in judgment of me anyway. But if, if that's how you feel, you want to go find, hey, well, I had a guy one time, it's so crazy, I had a guy that tried to get a book signing canceled. He came to an AA speaker meeting, 
And, and, and if, sir, if you see this or your friends see this and I step on your toes, I hope it hurts. So <laughs> this guy came to an AA speaker meeting. I love you more by the minute. To, and so he heard me talk about some of these things that I did. So what does he do? He goes and calls these people to carry my books. Oh, this guy did this. When I was 19 years old, man, I'm 51 years old. Oh, come on, man. It's yeah. in the book. Like, it's, like, it's in the book. It's in the book. You wouldn't even have the evidence if I didn't give it to I you gave freely. You the book. Yeah. All right. Exactly. You can go buy it. I'll sign it for you. You know. Oh, we get a picture made together. Put it on your mantle. I don't care. I'm trying to help people. Yeah. And the point, and and the lady that was the bookseller was amazing. I want. I'm not going to identify her because I don't want her have to deal with anything. She told this guy. She said the fact that you would go to an AA meeting where he's trying to help people change their lives and you're going to do this to try to get a book signing canceled that says more about you than it does about steve right? yeah exactly right? yep. and so oh, all these man. i have all these people on twitter right it's like if i if i and it's so funny to me that people are like well steve don't let it bother you bother me what do you are you kidding me how did how in the world would that bother me right right i am 32 years and nearly a month sober you think what somebody says on Twitter is going to mess with me? No. It's like all of a sudden, oh, that's it. I'm going to go smoke a joint today. You know, I'm going to go get loaded today, <laughs> today, because, today. Some, because some anonymous clown. You know, the, my problem with that is this, though. Those people can't see me to touch me, right? I am so far beyond their reach because I have found a new way to live. Right, what what right. bothers me is what about that guy that's got six weeks and he sees this idiot clown I hear wanting to take a shot at me about recovery over a college football rivalry. And that guy, is that guy going to be transparent about his recovery? No, yeah. he's going to say, look, Steve Robertson's got 32 years and he's still paying for that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I'll never tell anybody. Part. And so I think it makes people somewhat reluctant to admit they have a problem and go ask for help. You know, yeah. And listen, I'm not this narcissistic person that some people think that I am. I'm, I'm very humble when it comes to recovery. Now, listen, I could just go be... I don't have to be here. I don't have to go right. I could just continue to stack up Mississippi State sports books and uh, run the biggest Mississippi State website in the history of the university and just stack up, stack my G's up and give up this street life, right? I mean, right. just be done with it, right? <laughs> I don't have to come do all this stuff. I do this so that others may live. That's right. That's what it boils down to. This is not about, hey, well, Steve Robertson's got 32 years. You know, let's all have a parade, yeah. right? That's not the point. Is it, are there other people out there that are new to recovery? If they don't hear me, they may not hear anybody. That's right. And I'm very open and transparent about this because there is a debt that I owe that I will never truly repay. And every time that I get a chance to gather with guys like you, it's me making a payment on that debt. Oh, man. Because there's some guy out there. That that right there just changed. That's a perspective change is what that is. Oh, absolutely. Because, I mean, you don't ever think about it like that. Right. You're always just like, oh, man, well, you know, I did all this to the community. Or if you do, you think about how can I pay that debt. Yeah. But, I mean, just to hear that. Yeah. This is, you know, doing a podcast, doing going speaking at AA, going to a CR and speaking or – you know, I'm a worship leader, so going to lead worship, I mean, that is me paying my debt back for the things that I did. That's you right. know, I tell you what's funny and about trying that. to help people. I don't know how much time we got left, but uh, what's interesting to me is um, you know, my, my ego got checked a while back, a couple years ago. 
And I do this thing on Facebook called The Randoms. And it's just kind of, it's mainly a gratitude list or whatever I'm meditating on. I just write about that, about recovery stuff. And uh, Always like listening or reading The Randoms. They're thank always, you. They're <laughs> always very good. And, uh, I feel like I've been missing out. So, so I go to this, ga- I'm at a gas station and this lady stops me and she says, uh, hey, you're the Randoms guy on Facebook. <laughs> and so, and, and I get all puffed up and I'm thinking... You know, I got all these best-selling books. I got this big website, and I got this huge podcast, and this lady knows me for some stuff I scribble on Facebook, right? <laughs> and she goes, I just wanted you to know a friend of mine shared that with me. She said, I've got a son that's in rehab, and I print them out and mail them to him. Mm. Nice. And it's like, I, I mean, I'm just getting emotional thinking about that now. You know, and it's like, you know, all the thing, all the rest of this stuff is vanity. Right. Every bit of it. Every bit of it is vanity, right? Of course, I got bills to pay, and you know. But at the at the end of it, the, the day, it's all about us helping each other make it through the day, yeah, and get back into bed at night sober. That's right. And if it takes a little something like that, this is a woman I would have never met otherwise. She just happened to be passing through Starkville and stopped to get gas and runs into me. Didn't even, didn't remember my name. Just remembered the message, and that's what we're commanded to do: is to carry the message to those that still suffer. Right. That's right. That's right. That's it. At the end of the day, that's it. And that's well, that's what we're trying to do here at Unashamed Recovery Podcast is carry the message. Well, speaking of paying, paying bills, that's a great segue in us to take a uh, short break. Let's uh, give some love to our sponsors real quick. And we'll be right back. Unashamed Recovery Podcast is heard around the world in over 42 countries, including over 780 cities right here in the United States. People all around the world are hearing the message of the hope of recovery from addiction And that's because of listeners just like you who donate, but also because of our local sponsors. Sponsors like D's Automotive in Meridian, Mississippi, serving the East Central Mississippi and West Alabama areas for over 42 years. D's is a name you can trust when it comes to your vehicle for all your complete car needs, service, towing, and car locks. For all your complete car needs and service and towing and car unlocks, that's D's Automotive. Go by and see Miss Jeannie, Mike, and the boys at 5024 Poplar Springs Drive. That's 5024 Poplar Springs Drive in Meridian, Mississippi. Or give them a call at 601-482-1800. That's 601-482-1800. And tell them that Josh, Drew, and Palmer sent you. Now back to your normally scheduled program. Now back to your normally scheduled programming right here on the Unashamed Recovery Podcast. And we're back with Steve. And, man, we've been having a great conversation. Uh, A lot of things that I didn't know. A lot of things that, um, man... A lot of T-shirt you, ideas for man, sure. You have hit uh, some <laughs> some real knowledge today, and, and that is just we love having guests like yeah. you that that have so much experience in uh, this community. And so, but we also know that, like we've talked about, you have some books. So let's let's dive into that. What's what what's coming up next? Yeah. Well, the current one, the one that came out, um, I guess in November. It's uh, it's when the bottom falls. It is my story to and to recovery. Uh, and it's it's completely unvarnished. 
Um, there were a few stories that I left out just because I thought they were vanity stories. You know, I mean, it's just there's a lot of things out there that uh, there's some things too I don't want my kids to know, right? I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm very right. been open yes. and transparent with them, but you can go to WhenTheBottomFalls.com and of course look where they carry Lemuria books, um, Mississippi's bookstore, Lemuria books, um, and it's been such an honor to go in there to sit on that green couch. I mean, that's the same place Eudora Wealthy sat and John Grisham has sat. I mean, it's like. It's awesome. That's where that's that's where you go, and it's like, you know, th- thirty years ago, I've never dreamed that was possible. Yeah, you know, um, but yeah, it's a memoir, and it starts basically growing up in South Mississippi, and you know, being product of a divorced family, and uh, being an, being an athlete, being a musician for a short time, and then being a drug addict full time, and uh, yeah. kind of what I did, what I've gone through, what happened, and what it's like today, and. Um, Honestly, I don't want people to skip ahead. I think chapter 19 is probably the best thing I've ever written. It's probably the most important thing I'll ever write. And it's basically a call for the still-suffering addict to give this way of life a, an opportunity. And um, Amen. And so... It makes me want to go buy that book just to read, <laughs> read that <laughs> chapter. Just go to chapter 19. And so then... Yeah, well, don't, well, chapter 19 means a lot more if you read chapters 1 through 18. Hey. Yeah, so... Um, <laughs> But what's interesting, I, I never gotta learned see. to read. And so, oh uh, so I got a new book I'm working on this year that'll be out late summer. Uh, it's a biography of Duty Noble, and uh, probably wait. a book that should have been written 50 years ago. But it's my honor to write it, and I've had a chance to interview some of his family and done some research. And I, I think it's probably the most significant sports book I'll ever write. You know, of course, I did write about a national championship in 2021. It's pretty special. But uh, yep. this is a book that I think is a long time coming, and so I'm excited about that. And um, but, you know, it's like, it's so funny. When I was a kid, I was 15 years old sitting in Dolores Kagan's keyboarding class. And uh, she went around the room and asked all the kids, what do you want to be when you get done with school? And I said I wanted to be a musician or I wanted to be a writer, and all the kids laughed. But what's funny is the joke's on them. I got to do both. <laughs> you know? And uh, that's the thing I think about. I mean, there's some memories that I have. Even when I was in addiction, there was still some good times in life. I mean, everything wasn't just absolutely rotten, and that's one of the reasons people don't quit right away it's because there's always some highs but right you know, i had some big moments on stage and um you know some big moments off stage but it's like there, there's some there's some memories i have from them that i'm glad that i have both positive and negative and i've written about those and in, in when the bottom falls and, and um, to kind of give a shout out to the uh, uh i was on my way back from albuquerque new mexico which sounds like a re- really random trip my wife was travel nursing out there at the time nearly killed me and um thanks babe 17 and a half hours, right, one way. And I made that drive multiple times in one day. Me and, me and Keith Morrison and Dale on NBC Podcast were like best friends. But, uh, but anyway, This is I was, without drugs. And I was riding back, and uh, the, the song came another way from Sleep Theory came on. And uh, in the chorus, it says, you know, when the bottom falls. And I thought, man, I can really equate that to recovery. And I listened to that song on repeat, and I got to the point, I was just getting all emotional. It's like... It's almost like God was telling me this is the time to write this book. Mm. And, um, and so I called my wife and cried my, probably the next 50 miles. And I said, this is it. This is the time to write this book. And it's been incredibly well received. And, you know, we didn't know. You know, I mean, I'm stepping out of the sports genre, so we didn't know how it was yeah. going to sell. And, and uh, you know, book signings are a lot different, right? I mean, like, so we're signing Dogpile. You know, it's a high-five type moment, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. But this, like I've signed books for people that have died for an addiction. Like I, a guy right. walk up to me at a book signing with tears in his eyes. He goes, I want you to write this to my son. I lost him last year to an overdose. Man. You know, and this is real life stuff. This is life and death. Right. Yeah. This is not an issue of morality. 
This is not bad people pretending to be good. This is sick people trying to get well. That's right, yeah. And that's the way we have to approach this. That's and right. I'm not saying make excuses for people because that, that, that only enables them when you make excuses. Hold people accountable. But you got to love people through this. And uh, my hope is, is that by writing this book, because there's so many books about addiction written from a clinical point of view, and like a lot of people that work in, in counseling are not addicts, and I'm not judging them, but it's kind of like if, if you don't know what I've been through, it's kind of hard to tell how can you me. explain it to Exactly. Yeah. You can yeah. tell me the clinical thing. This is real-life application recovery stuff in this book. And so, and I don't think it's just about recovery. I think it's kind of an underdog story in many respects. And, you know, it's never too late to change your life. Yeah, I mean, right. and, and one of the things, big thing that I would point out put to people. that on a T-shirt. Well, then put this one, too. We're not passengers in our life for the pilot. Yeah. And so that's what happens. Like, we're like, oh, this is just my lot in life. You know what? Get up there and drive. Okay? If you don't like the direction that you're heading, change it. The solution to a lot of life's problems are actually pretty simple. We just don't have the courage to do it. Right? We're too big of a wimp to say, okay, I'm I'm in a dead end here. So instead of us just kind of rolling through this thing and letting the world happen to you, get up and fight. Get up and fight for your life. Get up and fight. Mm. I like it. Man, I like it. Yeah. Well... I know you've been busy with the book and book signings, but that's not all you've got going on. You've also got True Rest that is about to open up at the end of this month. Talk to us for just a I'm minute excited about, about that. True Rest. <laughs> well, True Rest, and uh, it's, a, it's a float therapy spa. The first True Rest franchise in the state of Mississippi will be in Starkville, Mississippi, I'm proud to say. So for those who don't understand float therapy, though. Yeah, so float therapy is... I'll give you my experience, right? I'd never done it. My wife is a trail runner and runs these ultra marathons. She's run the 100K like six times, which is ridiculous. Oh, my but, goodness. But, uh, so she's always looking for physical recovery. She's in the stuff. crowd. She's crazy. That's not her. That's oh, not her. That's not. My bad. She, she may wish. She's my uh, wife. That's not my wife. Palmer. My bad. I told y'all I just met these people. But never, Once but never, again, Palmer puts his foot in his mouth. <laughs> But nevertheless, so, she, so I'll cut that part out. we actually saw it on Big Bang Theory. And we're like, you know, Sheldon and Amy floated. I was like, I want to do that one oh, day. Yeah. I want to do that one day. So when she's out in Albuquerque, lo and behold, she found out they had it. So we, she went and did it. She goes, oh, baby, you got to try it. I'm thinking, how good could this be, right? And so I go get in there. And like, I think for the first time in my life, I was able to calm down, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, without the use of pharmaceuticals, you know. I was right. like... And so I walked out of there, and it, like, it took me like 10 minutes to like, come back to reality. It's like, it was like a mental reset for me. It's like I, I'm the kind of person, my eyes spring open in the morning, and I'm thinking about the million things i got to get done today. And then all of a sudden, I was like, okay, is this what normal people feel? You know, like we're not, we're, the world is not constantly like pushing at me and pulling on me, whatever. Right. And it, I slept better, and I was like, I went home and emailed the company the next day. Because yeah. I wanted my friends... <laughs> And not only did I think it was a great business model, but I thought it's bringing something of value to our community, right? Yes. And uh, we've had people from all over the state that have reached out to us about chronic pain issues and a guy with scoliosis and amputees and people like that because it's weightless, right? I mean, you get in there and it's like a thousand pounds of Epsom salt and all this magnesium, and you just flow. You could you put a bowling ball in there, it won't even it won't sink because oh, wow. your natural reaction is like when you lay in water, so, you know. So it takes you like a couple minutes to kind of trust it, but. Um, the last time I floated, we were in Ohio, and um, on the way home, my wife was like, you, you seem kind of pretty chill, babe. How are you feeling? I said, that nothing's important anymore. You know, it's just like, and I think that's the part about all of it. It's just there's so much anxiety and stress in life. 
my wife does it more for physical recovery. I, I really do it more for the mental benefits of it. But uh, we'll be open later this month. We're on Highway 12 in Starkville. Again, the first True Rest. Front. You can learn more. Go to truerest.com or more localized. Uh, go to Facebook and go to True Rest Starkville. Yep. And you can learn more about it. And it's got, listen, this is not a deal where I'm just like throwing my money behind this. We're going to run it like a mom and pop. Until uh, we really get established, so I'll be there. My wife will be there. It's not like we're just going to be like the CEO from thirty thousand square feet type thing. We're going to be there doing. <laughs> yes, the deal. it's mine. I'm never there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. So, but so, we're excited about it, not just because of the fact I think it's a great business model, and it gets my wife out of travel nursing, and and she'll tell you working nights is a young nurse's game, right? And oh, yeah. uh, so we wanted to, to her to have you know the opportunity to continue to help people because I think that's a calling more than anything else. Most definitely. Um, so we're excited about it. And as she says, it's never boring. I mean, just like, okay, we just get a book done. I want to do the book. Let, 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 we got this business role. Let's start another business, you know. And um, I don't know how long all this is going to last. So I'm going to make as much of it as I can. That's right. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, one day it's all going to be over. And, uh, you know, I just hope that I've left a, a, a living legacy in many respects, whether it be in the sports journalism world or in recovery and uh, I want people to know that I was here, and, and not just because That's of the right. fact that I needed some type of validation. I just want to give people hope. Right. right. Most definitely. Yeah, I love that, that it's not you're, – you're wanting to leave a legacy, but it's not for me. You it's know, for it's, somebody. It's, it's for everyone it's, else. It's so that people can see my story and understand that they can do the same thing. Right. Right. I mean, that's, that's – that's what it's about. It's yep. we've been through these things. We walk this this line. We walk this life, and uh, and then we came out of it. And we we would love to help help you do the same. So, yep. man, I'm excited to go try True Rest. Yep. I mean, that's awesome. Look, my daughter lives in Starkville now. I'll be there. You're saying a big guy like me can float. <laughs> so I go buy Starville and go see the, the beautiful Steve Robertson there at True Rest and, and get your float on. Get your float on. Put that on a t-shirt. It, it's already been done. Oh. <laughs> and cut. Thank and you for tuning in to today's episode of Unashamed Recovery Podcast. I hope that you have found it helpful and I hope that you have found it encouraging. Want more recovery content? Visit our brand new website, unashamedrecovery.com, for our new sobriety and recovery-themed blogs to take you deeper into your sobriety and recovery journeys. That's where you'll also find all the links to our social media. There you can even donate to the show to help us reach more people still lost in the darkness of addiction. Also, check out more amazing recovery podcasts over at Take 12 Recovery Radio Recovery Podcast Network. The link is in the show notes as well as under the partners page on the new website. That is all for this episode. Remember to stay sober and above all else to keep 12th stepping as you stay unashamed. We love you.